It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's part two of the weekend mailbag, so that means we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, gentlemen... And gangsters. And I have to tell you this, Chris. I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to the Ask a Pro mailbag that I did with Jamal Westerman. Peter wrote in and he said, gentlemen, gangsters, and former NFL players. So he's given everybody (laughs) their own handle. This is why Peter is one of our absolute favorites. He says, I have one question. Can either of you tell me what Dowell Loggins actually did with the offense? I know he was the designated challenge flag guy for the team, but what were his actual responsibilities? As far as I could tell, Chris, he was basically a sounding board for Gase and just carried out whatever Gase told him to do. Is that about right? Uh, I mean, it, there's more to it. He he does he is involved with the game plan during the week, um, where you know it it is still mostly uh, yes manning t- to Gase, but he is involved with that during the week, and he spends a lot of time with Sam. Uh, he's you know. So he does a, a lot of stuff with Sam, coaching Sam, watching film with Sam. Um, Gase does as well, but Logan spends even more time. And then, like I said, he does do some stuff with design, building the game plan during the week. But, yeah, on game day, yeah, he's there. He's there to throw that flag and, you know, maybe uh, talk Sam up and uh, give him some confidence, try to boost his confidence during the game. Uh, but yeah, that that's basically how that goes. Next question comes in from Joe Heldman, and it's actually a series of questions. He says, "What could the Jets get in return for a trade of Avery Williamson?" The answer to that is probably not much. He's fairly expensive and coming off an injury. That's why, as I said earlier, I think the best move would be to try and renegotiate his deal because I'd like to see him stay here, and I don't think there's much they could get for him in a trade. Which show is better, The Mandalorian or The Witcher? No idea. Haven't watched either one of them. What was the last movie to make you cry? There's one movie that makes me cry every single time I watch it, ever since I was a little kid. Every year I watch it at Christmas time and every single year you can see tears running down my face like a water faucet and that is It's a Wonderful Life. Still the greatest movie ever made and it gets me every single time so that's the last movie that made me cry because I watched it around Christmas time. Chris, we've got a ton more questions but before we get to our next one, I just want to tell you about the natural breakthrough pain relief solution CryoFree CBD Roll-On developed by Omax Health. 
Best part is it's 100% natural, CBD powered, and it works like magic. Within 10 minutes of application, and relief lasts up to eight hours, much longer than any of the over-the-counter products you can possibly find. And if you want to try it out, which I highly recommend because I use it myself since I run a lot and I get a lot of pain in my joints and my back and my neck, I've got a special offer for you as a listener of Play Like a Jet. All you've got to do is go over to omaxhealth.com, that's O-M-A-X health.com, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get yourself 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on and free shipping. And even better, that promo code is good for a discount on 20% off anything site-wide. So go check it out. Pro athletes use it, and so do I, so you know it works. Cryo-free CBD roll-on from Omax Health. Go to omaxhealth.com today. Enter the promo code OVERTIME. Get yourself up to 20% off plus free shipping and get rid of that nagging muscle and joint pain today. And with that, let's jump right back into the mailbag. In an age where food folk constantly push the envelope, what are the characteristics that classify a food as a pizza? Ooh, that's interesting. This is a tough one because there's so many specialty pizzas now, right? And it reminds me a little bit of Paulie Walnuts in The Sopranos when he goes into one of those Starbucks-type places and he sees all these different types of gourmet coffees and he just says, whatever happened to a regular cup of coffee? And that's kind of what you feel like sometimes when you go into these pizza places. Whatever happened to a cheese slice or just a slice with pepperoni or something? There's 8 million different toppings and specialty pizzas now. This is a tough one because there are so many that I like that I don't know how you would classify it. Like buffalo chicken pizza, I really like, but is that actually pizza? There's no sauce involved. It doesn't feel like actual pizza. To me, I guess... In order for it to be real classic pizza, it's got to have tomato sauce on it, it's got to have mozzarella, and it's got to have crust. So I guess I'll take the same tack that I did with deep dish pizza in Chicago. I like stuff like buffalo chicken pizza and barbecue chicken pizza, but it's not actually pizza. It's some sort of offshoot of pizza, if that makes any sense. So I guess that would be my answer. If it doesn't have tomato sauce, mozzarella, and crust, it can't actually be pizza. It's some sort of pizza-adjacent product. Okay, so I'll answer the first one uh, because I remember that. You're going to have to, uh, <laughs> after each one, you have to repeat them because there's a lot in there. I like the questions, though. They're good questions. Uh, but the Avery Williamson, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, you you got, you, uh, the Avery Williams, you got to, uh, you're not going to get a lot for him. You got to get, uh, coming off an injury, middle linebacker with that contract, like I'm saying a fifth round pick at most. And uh, yeah, it's not worth it. I, I would rework that contract and bring him back. Um, but yeah, you're, you're not getting a lot uh, for a middle linebacker that, you know, isn't exactly a covered linebacker and not that contract. So the it's, it's not going to be worth it. What was next now? Mandalorian or Witcher? Yeah, see, I have watched both of them. And the Mandalorian gets my my answer, but that uh, that's a little bit of a cheat code. It's just because of Baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> if you take Baby Yoda out of it, then I'm probably riding with The Witcher. I liked The Witcher. I enjoyed it. I, w I did uh, lose a little bit of focus here and there, and they did some funky things with the timeline, so I was a little confused on some things. But overall, as a show, I enjoyed that better than The Mandalorian. But I enjoyed Baby Yoda more than probably anything else on this earth. 
So I'm I'm rolling with Baby Yoda. I'm not neither of them. Just give me Baby Yoda. Last movie to make you cry? Yeah. See, I movies don't do it for me. Movies don't make me cry. TV shows have gotten me though. Um, I I was tearing up when Parks and Recreation was ending. <laughs> I was tearing up uh, during The Wire when when uh, R.I.P. Bodie. I was tearing up when uh, when Michael had to say goodbye to his little brother and and um, and Dookie in the wire. The, uh, I, I've I've teared up a little bit at times during uh, with with uh, Wallace from the wire. That definitely got me. But also when he was Vince in Friday Night Lights. Um, TV shows can get me. TV shows can get me a little teary eyed. Movies don't do it, and I think it's just because they're just. Not, it's not long enough for me to really feel, feel that type of connection with the characters. With a TV show, uh, I have years to build that up, and and that can hit me a lot, a lot quicker than than movies can. So I I don't know if I've ever even teared up really at a movie, but TV shows have gotten me. That's for sure. Apropos of nothing, since you brought it up, I just want to throw this in there. So many people were so sad at the death of Bodie in The Wire. And spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen The Wire, but it is kind of funny that we got so emotionally invested there because Bodie was such a bad person, especially early on when he killed Wallace. You know, so people forget about that when Bodie got killed. Oh, God, Bodie. It's like, he's the one that killed Wallace. So, by the way, spoiler alert again. So, I should have said if you haven't seen The Wire yet, but for God's sakes, that show's been off the air for like a dozen years. And if you haven't seen it yet, then go out and watch it on HBO On Demand. Well, yeah. And if if you want to go ahead and watch it, by the time you get to any of these points, you'll probably forgot that what we said. Um, so I thought about giving the spoiler alert, but I was like, yeah, it's been long enough. But one thing to remember here, Bodie, Bodie hesitated. Bodie wasn't able to actually do it. It was Poot that had to go ahead and finish off Wallace because Bodie wasn't ready for it. True. Um, and Bodie, Bodie did a lot of bad things, no doubt about it, but he was in a position where he was, uh, I'm not justifying what he did, but it, the circumstances led him to be the way he was. And, you saw him grow and change over the years. Yeah. And then for him to, at that point, for that to happen, like if Bodie got clipped in season three, then I wouldn't have felt the same way. But watching it, even though he was my favorite character at the time still, but watching him grow and change and be like, oh, now he's got to go, that, that, yeah, that, that hurt. That's fair. I think you could say something similar about Carver, although Carver obviously didn't die, but I think his character grew to a point where if something had happened to him in the early seasons, you wouldn't have really cared, but by the end, you were emotionally invested because his character had grown so much. So yeah, that's an excellent point, Chris. Last part of this is the pizza question. The main things, at least what makes a good pizza, is is the dough, the the sauce-to-cheese ratio. That, that's got to be uh, – the sauce-to-cheese ratio is super important, mm-hmm. and the dough has to be good and it has to be right uh, to, to make the good crust. But also the underneath uh, part of the pizza, you, you can get pizza where it tastes kind of – if it's overdone, it tastes kind of cardboardy. Um, so really, uh, I agree with you. It, it's about the dough, the sauce-to-cheese ratio, the mozzarella. And, yeah, the I like the specialty pizzas too. I like uh, – now it depends. Each uh, you know pizza parlor does some things better than the others. I've had plenty of bad buffalo chicken pizza, 
But there's places where I know, yep, that's a good uh, buffalo chicken pizza. I'm a big fan of white pizza. Uh, you know, just having like a regular slice and then a slice of white too. Um, and yeah, that's. I mean, I guess just specialty pizza is fine because I I hear what you're saying uh, with the Pauly Walnuts thing and the coffee. But you can walk into Starbucks and say, just get me a regular coffee. And I don't know any pizza places around here where you can't just get a regular cheese pizza. So I guess just calling uh, buffalo chicken pizza a specialty pizza is fine. Some type of uh, cheesesteak pizza or taco pizza. I've had some good slices like that as well. So, but just, that's a specialty pizza. But a regular pizza, it's got to have the good dough and the cheese to sauce ratio has to be just right. Yeah, that's kind of my position. I think I'm saying it the same way that I said with deep dish pizza. It's some sort of pizza offshoot. It's not your actual pizza, but it's something pizza adjacent. Because to me, it's not actual pizza unless you've got the dough, the sauce, and the cheese. If you don't have those three things, then it's a similar product to pizza, but it's not actually pizza. Closer to pizza than anything else, so... Yeah, it's pizza adjacent, and for the sake of making things simple with labeling, I could totally see saying it, but in my mind, pizza is sauce, cheese, dough, so if you don't have those three things, then like you said, specialty pizza, I guess, is the most generous way to put it. Next question comes in from Brett the Jet. He says, I hear everything about whether or not the Jets should re-sign Robbie Anderson, but should they consider transition tagging him to prevent him from hitting the open market? This way they could at least match any offers. This is interesting because nobody has mentioned this. I looked it up and it looks like if the Jets transition tag Anderson, they would have to pay him about $15 million for one year. At minimum so I think that's fine because what that would do is that would mean worst case scenario if people were afraid to make him an offer based on that then you would get him one year 15 million but I don't think that's going to be the case I think there are going to be plenty of teams that make him an offer and if you put that tag on him that means that you can match anything I don't think that you want to franchise tag him because then you would have to pay him top wide receiver money and that's a little bit too much but the transition tag is interesting you can only use it if you don't use the franchise tag but the Jets are not going to use the franchise tag on anybody but Robbie Anderson anyway and I don't think they're going to use the franchise tag on him so I like the idea of using the transition tag because then it gives you the flexibility to match anything if somebody else comes up with a better offer yeah, I agree with you 100% on what you just said about the transition tag. I might I might be willing to do it with the franchise tag even because let's okay, so you're you're definitely overpaying for him for next year if you do that. No no doubt about it. But it's it's going to be a, you know, a couple million dollars overpay for just one season. And then if you want to do that, you ensure you have him with Darnold for next year for the all important third year of Darnold's career then you can feel more confident about uh, having a rookie receiver added to the mix. And then next, uh, the following year, you could be willing to move on from Robbie Anderson, and then that guy will be closer to be ready. And then maybe you could sign a free agent in the next offseason. Or that would give you flexibility to be able to replace him uh, easier. Uh, to be able to say, okay, we go into free agency and do it, or they take a wide receiver this year and then they take a wide receiver next year, and then all of a sudden uh, it's not as dire. Where if you go into next season without uh, Robbie Anderson, 
again, they could take a, a, a guy at 11, but it's still just a rookie receiver that you're having – you go into the season with just Jamison Crowder as the only proven receiver on your roster. So I'd be willing to overpay a little bit more – a little bit for just one year. I'd have to look to see exactly what that number is. But I think they could finagle the cat and work it so they could easily fit that in. And then, like I said, that gives you flexibility and options to start preparing for moving on from from Robbie Anderson if that's what you want to do and still be able to keep uh, things intact for Darnold for going into next season. I understand what you're saying. I think the transition tag works better, though, because A, it's less, and B, the other thing is that way you let other teams set the market. And so if you want to keep Robbie Anderson, this means that teams wouldn't be scared off from making him an offer necessarily because there's nothing to lose. Whereas with the franchise tag, nobody is going to be signing him because of what you'd have to give up. And now you have to pay him X amount of dollars and you're back in the same situation the following year. If you want to keep him, if the goal is to keep Robbie Anderson around for the long term, I think the transition tag makes more sense. I get what you're saying, but I probably wouldn't use the franchise tag on him yeah and i just i just looked it up it's it's 18.5 million for the franchise tag so yeah that's probably a, a probably a bit too rich but i i if if they were to do that and i have no reason to think that they are to do it i could i could talk that into making sense for a, a, a very short term just one one year thing i agree with you though the transition tag makes more sense Next question comes in from basically Rhubarb. He says, hi, guys. Question from a UK Jets fan. Coming to New York for the first time in March, what would you recommend Jets related in the offseason? Also, I'm coming back in December. Definitely going to see a game on that visit. So there's really not much that you can do Jets-wise in March. What I would have said is maybe if you were here in April, you could have gone to a Jets draft party. But in March, the only thing I could tell you to do is take a tour of MetLife Stadium. But even that, you could see the stadium, but there's not going to be anything going on. There are plenty of other things I would recommend doing. You could see a Nets game, a Knicks game, an Islanders game, a Devils game, a Rangers game. There's all kinds of things that you can do here. I just don't think that any of them would involve the Jets. But when you come back in December, yes, absolutely go see a game and there'll be plenty of things that you can do tailgating experiences opportunities to meet legends remind us then and we'll make some recommendations but when you come in march honestly i don't know what to tell you in terms of jets related stuff other than getting a tour of metlite stadium if you come in march um depend like go ahead and shoot me a dm like two weeks before maybe uh, maybe somebody's having some type of like charity event or a player's having some type of charity event or something um, that that's possible, uh, but that that's really it. Uh, you know, it's the off season. You're not going to have a lot of activity. If it was just a little bit later, you could maybe do some draft uh, related, or even if it was in June, you could maybe come out for mini camp. But uh, that that's probably not going to uh, March. You're not going to have anything like that to do. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff to do in New York City. You want to go see a, a show. You want to go see comedy shows. You want museums, all obviously awesome food. There's plenty of awesome stuff to do there, and we can give you more examples based on what what you're looking for, what you like to do. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, as far as Jets related stuff, unless there's some type of charity event, um, you're not going to find much in March. You'll be able to find more in, in December. Um, but you, you won't be able to find much in March, unfortunately. 
Next question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, is it possible that we've set expectations too high based on Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff and Darnold could be progressing like most quarterbacks of the past? I know we expect big paydays on second contracts and that quarterbacks get high paydays, but shouldn't we expect fiscal responsibility rather than assuming big paydays on the second contract? And by fiscal responsibility, I mean a lower percentage of the cap going to Sam Darnold. So let's talk about the cap thing first. That's just not the way it works in the NFL, unfortunately. If you try to nickel and dime a quarterback, that quarterback is not going to be around. We saw that with Kirk Cousins. If you have a quarterback who's above average, you've got to pay him, and that's it. There's really nothing else to be said about that. It's unfortunate that they take up that much of the cap space, but that's just the way the market for quarterbacks is. As we've seen, it's not about who's best. It's about who's next when it comes to getting paid because Dak Prescott is on the verge of probably getting 35 to $40 million a year. And while I think he's a good quarterback, clearly he's not in that elite level where he should be getting paid like those other guys, but that's just the way the market works. The next guy that's up gets the richest contract. So as much as you'd like to be, quote-unquote, fiscally responsible at the quarterback position, that's just how it is. And as far as the expectations being too high, Mahomes is a whole different story, so let's throw him out. But remember, Goff progressed in year number two, but didn't really make the giant leap until year number three. And even then, I know Chris would argue that he's not that good. I think Goff is a good quarterback. I don't think he's great. I would put Goff in that same category with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins and Matthew Stafford, guys that are good to very good, but not great. They're not on that elite level. They're not going to put an offense on their back or anything like that. I think Wentz is the guy really that made that super jump in year number two. People forget about it because he got hurt and then Foles was the one that actually ended up winning the Super Bowl. I think it's a little bit irrational to have thought that Sam Darnold was going to be an MVP candidate in year number two. And I know some of us let our imaginations run wild. I know he did progress. I think the issue here is that he didn't quite progress even to the level of some of these other quarterbacks that did well in year number two. And you have the same problem, of course, and to an even greater extent in Cleveland, because I would argue that Baker Mayfield regressed. Darnold progressed. He just didn't progress that much. So it really is depending on who the particular quarterback is. I think that anybody that was expecting him to be Patrick Mahomes in year number two is being a little bit crazy, but I also do think that it's fair to be a little disappointed because he didn't quite make the jump that we were hoping for. Yeah, I I, I remember talking about this before the season because we're getting a lot of questions about is can we expect a Wentz-like jump, a Goff-like jump, and Goff went from being coached by Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay. They added a bunch of uh, talent and drastically improved the offensive line. Um, that it was a way more uh, influential in the season that Goff ended up having that year than Goff himself just improving. All that stuff, the coach, the offensive line, the weapons – that w- had a much bigger thing to uh, to do with it than just golf, just jumping from year one to two. Also, with Carson Wentz, man, that people seem to forget how good that Eagles team was. Mm-hmm. They were able to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. They had the best offensive line in the league. Mm-hmm. They had all uh, p- weapons for for them to use the quarterback to use. They had a great defense. Um, uh, Doug Peterson. 
Doug Peterson hasn't called games quite the same since that year, but that year, man, he was super aggressive. Uh, He was just hitting all the right calls on these play calls. And everything that I'm just talking about with both those instances was the reverse case scenario with with Darnold, that they didn't give him uh, a lot, a bunch more new weapons. I mean, they got Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder, but we've talked about how – they weren't used in the right way. Adam Gase obviously didn't um, play to uh, Darnold's strengths and hasn't been a boon to him in the same way that Sean McVay was for uh, Goff. And the offensive line was a mess, an absolute disaster. Both Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, when they made those jumps, had among the best offensive lines in football. And that's where it was unfair to expect that of Darnold. If you gave Darnold the best offensive line in football or a top five offensive line in football, I think you would have seen a bigger jump this year. And then also, obviously, we couldn't factor in uh, the mono stuff. He got banged up a couple times, obviously nothing serious, but he had some elbow, some leg issues that he had to work on uh, that that he just fought through. Um, But this this happens to every quarterback. Every quarterback's going to have to deal with that at some point. Um, but the biggest thing here is this is uh, like earlier I was saying, I know people are going to sit here and look at AJ Brown and say, Hey, you can just grab a receiver and he'll be able to do what AJ Brown did this year. It doesn't work that way. There's a learning curve and everybody adjusts differently. Maybe, maybe one of the guys can be, they can get somebody who will be AJ Brown, but you can't bank on that. And it was, it was always going to be a little unfair to bank on, Sam Donald just taking that type of huge jump when the cast around him, it wasn't nearly as good as those situations. Um, and that's, I didn't even mention Mahomes because obviously, like you said, that would be absurd to, to think about. And that's not just because of how good Mahomes is, but he's got Andy Reid, a great offensive line and weapons all over the place. Um, as far as the signing, the, Having your the only concern when signing a quarterback is how good he is. Um, I am against the idea of paying just a good quarterback big money because yes, you can compete with that, but I don't think you're ever going to get to that. Uh, not not never, but you have to be build such a perfect team to be able to win with just an adequate quarterback. If once you believe that you have a uh, a, a quarterback that can lift people around you and can be, you know, even a top uh, a elite-ish between a top five and ten range, then it's the same thing I'm going to say with Jamal, the same thing I was talking about with Robbie. Lock them up earlier because it's going to be cheaper. The price is only going to go up. The demand's going to go up for them, so people are going to be willing to throw more. And, again, it's going to – the number's going to look crazy when you first sign them. But two years later, it's going to look like a steal all of a sudden. Look at Kirk Cousins, $28 million. People are going crazy. And now next year will be the final year on that contract. He's going to cash out again at 32. So it just goes to show you that these prices just go up, especially with quarterbacks. So if they believe in Sam Darnold, they should act to lock him up as soon as they can because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you end up having to pay him $50 million or something like that because that's where this is headed with the cap going up and the quarterbacks getting paid more and more and more money. 
while sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Spotty Blackman, my man Kevin Jackson. He says, odds that Netflix will produce shows better than HBO has. The Netflix model is interesting because it seems sort of like what Amazon is doing, which is being willing to take short-term losses for long-term gains. And so in the case of Netflix, that means paying out a lot of money for shows and movies, not necessarily making big profits in the short run, but being able to build that brand over the long run that's going to bring in the big money. So I think Netflix has the opportunity to absolutely be in that same category with HBO. I know you and I have talked about this before, Chris. The HBO brand always meant a lot. If there was a new show on HBO because of their track record with making good shows, a lot of times you would just give the show a shot based on the fact that it was on HBO. And I think Netflix has a chance to establish that. They've done a lot of really good shows and a lot of really good movies. So if they go down this path, they could be the new HBO. Who knows? Next question from Kevin is why is the idea of letting Robbie go so easy for some when he's such a unique piece and if they effectively build around Sam he has so much value we talked about this a little bit here and there but I think a lot of people just don't see Robbie as worth the kind of money that he's probably going to get in this offseason and realistically 
he probably will get overpaid a bit, but the reality is you've got to look at it through the prism of what's he worth to the team, and on top of that, what do you do to replace him if he leaves, and those are very difficult questions to answer. I think if you can get him on a contract that isn't absolutely outrageous, it makes sense for the reasons that you just said. He's a unique piece, and especially if the offensive line does a better job of protecting Darnold and giving him time to throw, Anderson's going to get open downfield, and Darnold will have more opportunity to see him and make some big splash plays and the final question from kevin on a deserted island would you choose 90s hip-hop or 90s grunge no question about this for me i like 90s hip-hop but i love 90s grunge i am such a huge fan of bands like nirvana soundgarden smashing pumpkins alice in chains you could go on and on down the line screaming trees stone temple pilots loved them all so i did like 90s hip-hop but no question about it give me 90s grunge all right, so I'll go in reverse order here, and uh, it, it, easy answer for me is 90s hip-hop. Um, I, I was a big Nirvana fan. I love Nirvana, but uh, give me a gang star moment of truth. De La Soul stakes is high. Uh, I, I could go on for hours and hours and hours. I go off beat with like something like Farside. I, I could go a Tribe Called Quest. I, I could go on and on and on and on. Um, but, yeah, that that's going to be easy for me. The Robbie thing – it's a mixture. There's all, and the people who are against it, it's all going to weigh where some things weigh more. Um, one of the biggest, the biggest thing I think is that this offense hasn't been good enough to really utilize uh, how good Robbie Anderson is at what he does because the offensive line isn't good enough to give him time to get downfield because Sam Darnold hasn't been able to, uh, pull the trigger, getting them downfield as much. We don't. People don't see. They people always look and point to uh, uh, you know numbers and stretches where Robbie's not doing much um, as far as production wise. But you throw on the tape and you watch, and Robbie's getting open. They just can't get the ball to him. And if you build the offensive line better and you give Darnold more time, you will see Robbie's production go up. Um, but fans don't look at things like that. They don't look that in depth. They're not re-watching tape. So they're just saying, oh, he's not having 100-yard games every week. He's not worth it. If you build around him, you will see a huge improvement in his production. Um, some of it, some of it is probably the way he talks. Some of it is, a lot of it was a lot of people is the arrest issues that he had a couple years ago, even though he was cleared of all those charges. Every time I talk about Robbie on Twitter, there's somebody calling him a thug in my mentions, somebody talk, bringing up uh, what he said to that cop. And again, he was cleared of all charges. Why are you still holding that against him? Um, there's some of that. This some of that some of it is probably just people still looking at him and being like, look at how skinny he is. It doesn't make sense. Um, so there's is some combination, and for the people that are against it, it'll vary on which ones are how that those rank and how much they do. But I think the biggest one is that this offense just hasn't been able to take advantage of how good he is at what he does best. Yeah, and the Netflix, I don't think Netflix will ever get there because they're, they're more about volume. They're more about quantity over quality. They want people to get come in, and they just want as many uh, subscribers as possible. Where Now, HBO, I have heard recently that there's, whoever took over there might be will, wanting to move away from their 
prestige television thing, which I think would be a huge mistake because that's what people go to HBO for. But I don't think Netflix is as concerned about the quality as they are with the quantity. And they have a bunch of – they're gaming the system here. They're doing a lot of stuff right now where they they don't want shows to go over like two seasons. They just want to reel you in with the subscription – and then they're canceling shows that are doing good after two seasons. So I just think their business model is different. And they'll, they'll never get to that same prestige level where HBO, where you're just like, oh, HBO's got a new show. I'll check it out. I do want to add to what you're saying. I understand the point, but even if HBO's percentage of great shows is going to be higher, I think that within that volume, there's a chance to produce a ton of really good shows. And there have been some really good ones that Netflix has put out. Also, as far as the short series, I know that that's disappointing to some people, but remember, that's the British style. If you look at, say, The Office that Ricky Gervais put out, the original, not the one that became the NBC hit for many, many years. The original Office that Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant co-created in Britain, that only lasted two seasons. So that's kind of the way that they do things in Britain. I think they're going in that direction. And I would also add that as far as the grunge versus hip-hop debate, and you could agree with me on this, Chris, if I want to talk 90s grunge, I got the wrong beat reporter because the guy for that job is Dennis. Dennis, yes, definitely go with D-Waz there. He'll, uh, he'll, he'll answer that. And it'll be an interesting question because he likes he's more of, a 90, of an 80s hip-hop guy, but he likes a lot of 90s hip-hop, so he'll be able to throw some of that in. But, yeah, he, he's definitely going to uh, – no, way farther and deep into the grunge shit, the grunge stuff. Like I said, I, I I love Nirvana. I was a big fan of Nirvana, but that's that's pretty much where it stops for me. And Dennis will be on the show. He's going to join the roundtable, so we'll hear from him, and I will definitely ask him about the grunge and hip-hop scene from the 90s. We'll even dip into the 80s a little bit, too. We'll throw that in. And then, of course, Dennis will join us during training camp at some point to talk about his emoji scorecard because, Chris, I think we can both agree that in the downtimes such as these, a decade of poor performance by the Jets Dennis's emoji scorecard stands out as a light in a beacon of darkness. It's the best thing any of us beat reporters do and <laughs> will ever do. We, we will never top that. It is absolutely the best thing. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure that that's probably not what Dennis was thinking when he got into this job <laughs> and this business. He's like, I'm going to stake my claim as the best u- user of emojis. And Dennis is... Dennis is a great beat reporter, does great work, is awesome at his job, but man, those emojis are excellent. Should say that when Dennis first got into the business that I'm pretty sure emojis didn't exist yet. So he definitely did not get into the business thinking that emojis were going to be his calling card. But sometimes life takes us on crazy journeys and there are lots of unexpected twists. And so that's the beauty of it. In fact, that's the beauty of the mailbag. And that's why we did a great mailbag today. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. For those that are looking for some great content over on JetsInsider.com, they've got you. They've got the great Michael Nania. What are you guys working on right now? Next week, I'm going to start pumping out articles. We're going to, um, you know, we've talked about it. There's really only uh, three or four guys you really focused on bringing back. Uh, but we'll look at free agent targets. I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start digging into um, college tape to look at draft guys. I'm going to pump out a lot of uh, draft content this year. So I'll, I'll start looking at the tape and get that going soon. 
but we're going to look at the free agency. And then later on in the year, I'm going to, I'm going to take a deep dive into looking and watching the tape on Adam Gase's offense and where I think he went wrong, what he should try to adjust. Um, I'm going to slow play this though, because there was some ugly games this season and I'm not going to uh, torture myself by making myself watch too many at, at once. So I'll, I'll take it slowly there, but later on in the, uh, the, the year, probably around March, I'll start pumping that stuff out. Uh, but there will be plenty of content up in the next couple of weeks. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com, along with the great work of Michael Nania. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.